and good morning everyone or good afternoon or good evening depending upon where you are on this rotating globe welcome to another live edition of the other side of midnight that magical time between dusk and dawn when almost anything can happen including right now because we're about to enter a total lunar eclipse yes if you um, look on your phones or on your computer and you go to the other side of midnight.com that's our url for all you new listeners we tried with uh, a feature we called radio with pictures to provide us our listeners with the latest of information so if you go to um, the guest page which is found by clicking on the uh, banner at the top of the um, uh, home page click on that that will take you to tonight's guest page under the banner you will see my name where it says uh, items fast links to items click on my name that will take you down to um, the first three or four items of my section click on number three and there is the eclipse this is courtesy of I'm I'm not quite sure in which institution is doing this a number of them uh, do this um, this is from oh I'm sorry I clicked on the wrong thing mm, dear to me to me okay there we are oh now that's weird oh I see what happened um, I I had a little bit of a hiccup here and it's not it's not working <laughs> my link is not working it's bizarre it goes to another link oh well anyway um the eclipse is live if you go to that link it should work for you Keith will uh, clean up any problems that, that we may have um and that will allow you to during the rest of the program look at the rest of um uh, a total lunar eclipse as well as the remainder of the after effects the partial eclipse as the uh, moon retreats out of the Earth's shadow. And of course, this is all very interesting because the hyperdimensional physics is going crazy at the moment. How do we know that? Because we have done measurements during other eclipses. And eclipses, uh, in light of last night's conversation with Dr. Rudy Schild and his quest to mathematically find uh, links between consciousness and the topology of black holes, He's getting close because black holes, of course, do really bizarre things to space-time, as we now know from uh, certain measurements of the uh, LIGO network, the uh, so-called black hole laser network around the Earth. So we know that there are tremors in the force that are measurable by mainstream physics. So is it much of a, of a change in perspective to think that during this eclipse, during tonight, during this program, during this program on this specific subject, which is all about essentially reconnecting heaven and earth, that as backdrop to our conversation with Steve Bassett on the uh, imminent House hearings in Washington, D.C., on the forbidden topic of UFOs, oh, I'm sorry, UAPs, yes, that's, the, that's the new nomenclature. Anyway, um... Uh, let's go directly to Stephen, because I think that it, we're going to want every minute we have tonight. So for you who are new to the show and to my guests, let me give you a kind of a thumbnail sketch of who Stephen Bassett is. He's a political activist, disclosure advocate, and the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, founded in 1996, which, by the way, was the same time that I founded the Enterprise Mission, 
to end a government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. Oh, now that's interesting, because extraterrestrial-related phenomena, that's a really big net. Hmm. This opens up another avenue of discussion tonight. He has spoken to audiences around the world about the implications of disclosure, the formal confirmation by heads of state of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He has lectured around the same planet on the political implications of UAP-ET phenomena and given over 1,200 radio and television interviews. Oh, what a glutton for punishment. PRG's advocacy group, uh, work has been extensively covered by the national and international media, including being featured on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, The Washington Post, and of course the great lady herself, the New York Times. In 2013, PRG organized and conducted a citizen hearing on disclosure at the National Press Club in Washington. Know it well, we held many of our Enterprise Mission press conferences there. In November of 2014, PRG launched a two-year political initiative out of Washington that injected the ET issue into the 2016 presidential campaign. PRG recently launched a new exopolitical podcast, also out of Washington, called The Disclosure Wire, based in the National Press Building, merely two blocks from the White House. So without further ado, Mr. Bassett, come on down. Mr. Hoagland, I'm down. <laughs> well, you know, I almost am. Uh, I want to start the show by saying I don't know whether I really ever realistically anticipated that this kind of program would be possible, but we're two days away before the beginning of something that I think no one understands where it's going to go. Nobody. What do you think? Uh, I. Okay, uh, I'll conveniently refute that by saying I have a pretty good idea where it's going to go. Uh, and that's yeah. why you're our sole guest tonight. Uh, we may have uh, dropped okay. you know. Fair um, enough. Don't, don't put the pressure on me. Uh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've seen, I mean, this has been like, like uh, you know, Lucy in the football and Charlie Brown for decades. I mean, when I was in Washington several years ago, Robin and I made the rounds. You know, I kind of showed her how one lobbies, and I went to various uh, Republicans. I didn't touch the Democrats because I knew they were on board, but I went only to Republicans, and I was basically pitching them on the idea of turning NASA into a equivalent of the Department of the Interior, given that we're looking at mining, international relations, potential disclosure of extraterrestrial realities, uh, resources, energy, uh, you know, terrestrial conflicts, China, Russia, whatever. I said, it's time to create the Department of the Exterior and bring, <laughs> and bring NASA up. He is laughing. Would you like to know that every single Republican that I broached this to laughed? They said it was a good idea. They laughed because they said NASA, the current NASA, cannot handle it, period. And they were all very forthcoming. And I had my private doubts politically that they could move up to the big time and become like the Department of State except for interplanetary space. No, 
all the Republicans, this was during the Bush administration, all the Republicans said that NASA could not handle it. So I, I would agree. Uh, NASA is a scientific entity. What you're referring to is a political entity. Will there be a Department of Extraterrestrial Affairs at the uh, cabinet level? Absolutely. Exterior. No question. Department of the Exterior. Well, you know, we can... We Brevin, can uh, interior, ex interior, exterior, come on. It has, that, it has that classical resonance with the Founding Fathers, okay, and it is absolutely accurate because it will cover everything out there, the science to be included in the politics. Has to be. When that day comes, we'll have a some sort of a poll thing, and we'll let the people decide. Let me let me give your audience a, it's just a basic background behind what's about to take place. The um, drum roll, drum roll. The issue goes back. The modern era goes back seventy-five years. Uh, Nineteen forty-seven is when it basically begins, and uh, a lot happened over the next. Uh, uh, 20 years, uh, a lot of efforts to try to get the information uh, out to the people that was being discovered by citizen scientists or pressure on the government to get information out, mostly by citizens. The military intelligence community was pretty much set and solid on maintaining the embar a truth embargo on it. Uh, well, there they were, were freaked features. out. I mean, it just uh, came I, through I, saving I, civilization from the Nazis and the Japanese, and then suddenly this descends out of the skies. Give me a break. They were totally freaking out. Again, whatever, whatever, they, whatever they were, they were firm that they were not going to allow the uh, truth embargo to, uh, to come to an end right away. So not surprisingly— uh, Well, hang on. Congress the reason I, The reason I made the interruption is because I think— the polit political situation rapidly went from freak out to how do we control and how do we keep the public totally in the dark because this is the last thing we want them to know is that this is reality. If you think of the Robertson panel as a, as a, as a political thing, but there was actually the, the CIA. Ultimately, it's a political decision because it goes to the president. But I'm referring to a broader sense. The, the point was, would the Congress ever get involved on this thing? And the Congress was remarkably out of the picture from 47 on. It just wasn't involved at all. It didn't really become Well, they weren't involved publicly as the, quote, oversight. But behind the scenes, they were in bed with what was going on. I don't know that. I don't know that at all. I, I, I'm, I, I think that a lot that what was set up by Truman and and uh, the CIA and so forth, they were not consulting with the Congress. Why? Because the Congress leaks like a sieve. Uh, the House people are reelected or elected every two years. And so anybody in Congress knows something, they're going to be out of Congress mm. in a couple of years and writing a memoir. So, but, but let's, well, let's that's now. Back then, remember, I do have memories back then. I'm, I'm a little older than you are. The, uh, the, the idea that the government could do any wrong was so far down people's list that the cover-up worked because most people worked to make it work. They participated in the cover-up, willingly, That's eagerly. True. That is true, but and in large measure. I still would contend that if we get to the history of this at some point someday, <laughs> that they stayed away from the Congress. It's just too risky. To you've got 535 members there. 
they talk to each other. Well, but see, in those, uh, when you say the Congress, I guess maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm coming at this with a little finer focus. Because when you say the Congress, I don't think of the rank and file for 35 members. I think of like the Gang of Eight or the Gang of Five or a very limited senior, you know, members from the House and Senate committees relevant armed services, intelligence, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. they they could not do this alone as an executive branch because the Congress would have eaten them. They would have spilled the beans. They had to be brought in. I'm going to vote that they did not. They kept them out. They did not brief anybody. They kept this absolutely as tight as possible. That's my vote. We don't know one way or the other not because the, well, the story is told. Remember, remember Barry Goldwater's story? That, that, again, but that – that's years later. I'm talking about in the early years. Oh, so you're talking in the first nanoseconds of this episode. I'm talking in the first 20 years. July so, to July 47, okay. For onward, yeah. So the break in this comes in 1966. Uh, there, there had been tons of sightings and plenty of research done by scientists, NICAP and everything else. And the, the truth embargo was getting pounded pretty good. Um, and one of the things that created a problem was the extraordinary sighting that took place in Michigan. It's one of the most amazing. And I invite people to research that. That happened to be a state which, which, hang where, on, hang on, hang on, which is renowned for what line? From my old well, friend I'm, Alan Heinrich? Yeah, I'm getting to that. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> uh, not only was it extraordinary sighting, but it was notable because uh, Alan Heinrich was sent in to investigate it as part of the Blue Book. And he was – I'm sure that he was tired a lot. Uh, he had two jobs. Uh, he was being run around. But he, so he's, he's giving a, a press conference. He's a little tired, and he just happens to bring up the fact that swamp gas was a potential explanation <laughs> for something like this because it can it can rise up and it can it he can, was uh, politically covering his damned ass. Come on, we don't we we don't know. Uh, we don't know. I I I I think that he, it was an he was just trying to provide possible explanations i i don't think it was too overt i'm not and i'm and i don't think based on my discussion with paul heineck that he actually thought that's what it was he was just talking to the press but whatever that resonated i mean that just caught the attention of a lot of people who had read enough and seen enough about this issue to know are you kidding me swamp cat <laughs> so that that kind well, of it had put, era, it had uh, auras of halloween spooks you know, apparitions. It had all the elements of mystery, but it was natural. So there was a politician there who was, who was a member of Congress by the name of Gerald Ford, yep. who, is, who is a good man, an honest man. He's one of the few good, honest men, by and large, that we've had. I'm and not a, saying he didn't make mistakes and, as president. And, and a 33rd degree Mason. A righteous one, too. So he, he decided... Look, this this needs to be doing something. And so for whatever reason, he had the courage to step forward and be the first member of Congress to say we need to have a hearing. This is 1966. And he was a fairly – he was on his way up, uh, obviously. He was yeah, a no, man. no, 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 no question. And, of course, you know why I'm forever indebted to Gerald Ford, right? No. We personally got him to change the name of the first space shuttle from Constitution to Enterprise. In an effort to democratize NASA, and NASA fought us tooth and nail, and they still hate my guts because of that, because we won. And then in retribution, 
they were determined that she would never fly. Anyway, sorry for okay. the diversion. All right. Okay. Uh, so, so the first hearing ever was held in 66 with the encouragement of Gerald Ford. It wasn't signif- particularly significant. It was significant in the fact that it was held. It was kind of a marker. lasted a day. There was some information that was presented, but it, it didn't really go anywhere. However, another hearing was held uh, two years later in 68. I, it's not clear – which members of Congress pushed for that, uh, exactly how it came about. Uh, and and that, that's some research I and probably uh, uh, Richard Dolan would know. But we know that Ford was associated with the 66, and there's no particular member of Congress seems to be associated with the 68 hearing. So the 68 hearing takes place. And this was uh, uh, basically a, a bad – Well, was this uh, based on the, on the release of the Condon report? Well, that's uh, – n- not exactly. Uh, this was a bad trip in a lot of ways. Uh, I believe that the 68 hearing was put together not as, oh, let's let's respond to something uh, that's just happened, like like in the case of 66, mm. but because a program, a, a, a project essentially was being put together to get the government and the DOD out from under this issue, uh, to get it get the people off their back, in other words. And, and it was a pretty elaborate plan. Do you remember when in 68 uh, these hearings were held? I could easily Google it, but I think it's like well, mid-year. Well, the reason it's important is because I'm wondering, NASA that same year made a stunning, unprecedented, and to date, unreturned to decision, which changed everything vis-a-vis Apollo, the Russians, all that. And that was Apollo 8. And that was when I was brought on board CBS. There was no reason that Apollo 8 should have flown the way the decision was made. In fact, NASA lost its administrator who resigned over the decision of the agency over his direction to to fly Apollo 8. So depending upon when the hearing was held, the Apollo 8 decision might be connected. It might be. I, I think a much a, a much more likely connection was this. Can you look up the date? Keith, can you look I, up the date, please? Pa, uh, 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 1968 UFO Keith, hearings. Okay, I'll look. You're talking to Keith. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so by 68, the government clearly was fed up with the, the enormous amount of tension that this issue was getting, the pressure from the public, uh, and uh, – that and they would like to get out from under that. All right. Secondly, they the, the Apollo program was moving forward and they're heading towards going to the moon. And from their point of view, I don't think they wanted their efforts to get to the moon to go in, out into space, uh, polluted by all of this public interest and and thinking in what we would find out there. Uh, or just in general about UFOs. It, 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 for them, it was like a pollutant. Right. And so even though they had in hand, they had the Brookings report, which in hand said that they would discover ruins on the moon, Mars or Venus as part of NASA's activities made 20 years before Apollo. That's that's also the case. I mean, just in case they encountered something, uh, it would be helpful if they could. It wasn't uh, in case it was predicted by their own eggheads who spent a lot of money doing that research and putting that report together. They said within 20 years, which was Apollo now, 
from 1950s to, to 60s. And they intended, in the, I'm sorry, in the 70s, they intended to look for ancient alien ruins. Yeah, but that didn't mean they were going to find anything. But I mean, the anticipation the was out there. So well, that, if, that's if, the point I'm if, making. If you want yeah. to keep such a discovery secret around an agency which is built on openness, remember the mantra of NASA. What do you do? That's why I want to connect the dates between the decision to go to the moon with Apollo 8 and the decision to hold this UFO hearing from some unnamed source. We can't identify a senator or a congressman who spearheaded the effort, right? Who made that decision in that time frame? And was it designed specifically to kill interest in what Apollo would find on the moon in terms of ETs or aliens? I assume that's a rhetorical question. They they intended always to go to the moon, and they kind of knew when they would go to the moon. And so that was looming ahead uh, only by about a year and a half. Okay, and, according uh, to this, which Keith just sent me, sorry to interrupt, on this day, July 29, 68, Duluth UFO researcher testifies before Congress. Native Duluthian and un identified flying object researcher James E. McDonald. Talk about a swipe at McDonald's credentials. Testified before Congress along with four other men. Carl Sagan, Alan Hynek, Robert Hall, and James Harder. Robert M. Baker Jr. testified. So it was July. The decision was not made uh, to go to the moon until late, like October of 68. So this the hearing preceded that decision. The decision to exactly when to the go to the moon, the Apollo program was built from the beginning. No, 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 no. I'm talking about flying Apollo 8. Apollo 8 was supposed to be an Earth orbit test of the lunar module. Yeah. The lunar module was not ready. So, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, you know, the Master Mason, head of NASA, James Webb, was cudgeled into making the decision to send Apollo 8 to the moon and then he quit I, I view that as an internal decision about whether that should go or not let, let me finish the point I'm making there um, so they hold the hearing it's one day it was not really clearly intended to go anywhere they embarrassed uh, James McDonald at that hearing it's kind of a just take advantage of the opportunity which, which really crushed him and did not contribute to his mental health I think helped lead to a suicide. And so that was done. And then um, we learn that they're going to put a report together, the Condon report together. Uh, that's kind of about simultaneous. The Condon report comes out in 69 and they make they, they use that report to justify closing down Blue Book, which they'd wanted to do for some time. Right. Meanwhile, simultaneously with that, they were undermining the situation over at NICAP, their number one foe, a significant and formidable foe, by the way, uh, which had high-level people on the board, lots of scientist members. Some of the high-level people on the board were known CIA. They weren't, they weren't uh, undercover. They were, they were CIA people. Uh, and they took over the board, got rid of Keogh, and essentially everything was closed down. So in 69, just as we're getting to, to actually get to the moon, uh, they they feel they have put this issue kind of behind them. Uh, Blue Book didn't find anything significant. Condon reinforced that. We've shut it down. 
Uh, NICAP is is gone. Obviously, must not have been doing anything. And this was a milestone period. And that was the last hearing, 1968. Now, as we move forward, uh, obviously, the issue was never going to go away and the activist work was never going to end. And very quickly, I mean, it was clear to, I think, most people that were trying to engage this issue that, and though this may not have been known, this may not have been known as well prior to 68, but in order to resolve this issue, it has to be resolved politically. And in order to do it properly, it needs to go through Congress. One of the mistakes that Rockefeller made when he tried to get into this issue and when he got into this issue in 93 is that he felt the Cold War was over, it's time to move, and he, he said, I'm going to the White House. So he goes to the White House, he contacts the Clinton administration, they form this whole project called the, uh, the Rockefeller Initiative to, quote, get the files out. And if the files had come out, that would have ultimately ended the truth embargo. I mean, a lot of files are coming out, class declassified and released, except that was all coming from the president's office, from the White House. And so you basically have the White House confronting the Department of Defense and saying, I want this stuff. And the DOSD saying, oh, we don't want to give it to you. <laughs> well, you should. And it goes, and the Congress is completely out of the picture. That was not the way to go, and we know that it didn't work. So that's the point I'm trying to make. It has to go through Congress to be appropriate, well, to be yes less and, disruptive. Yes and no, unless the rank and file simply take the bit in their teeth and do the science and the politics be damned. I'm, I just had a memory. You know, you're what do you for, mean by that, Rick? I don't, what I'm, did you just I'm, say? I don't I'm, understand that. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you. There are two possibilities for revealing um, the presence of extraterrestrials in the solar system and visiting Earth, right? One is the extraterrestrials themselves. Are you with me? Yes. And the other is an official government level research which has the credibility to when it says they're real, it will be believed. No level below that, although we've had zillions of claims, have been believed as a culture, right? I, I, I couldn't disagree more. Uh, we have been doing science on this issue through classified programs from day one. They got enough science piled up in their classified programs. That's not, eight that's times not over. what I'm talking. I'm talking about the public, public perception. We're talking politics, which is ninety-nine plus but, perception. But how how could how could the the public get a perception of of, of some scientific breakthrough when they're not going to announce it? The only science that was being done in the public was by people funding themselves out of their social security checks. Right? There was no science in the public domain. The entire academic world did not even investigate it. The science was done in secret. Nothing was presented to the public from the government that be convinced them one way or the other. In fact, they put out a lot of information. Let me bring was- you back to Brookings. Brookings, which was an official document released by Kennedy, you know, as soon as they came into office, said one of the things that could happen is we NASA discovers ruins of ETs on the moon, Mars, or Venus in the next 20 years. Now, the reason that's important, and I'm connecting these two events, that lone bludgeoning of McDonald in July and the decision to go to the moon regardless in, in, uh, in, in October is because in between, I had just been brought on board CBS for Cronkite, and I had three astronauts take me to dinner at the, Nash, at the uh, New York Academy of Sciences, wine me and dine me and ask me I believe it was because it was Borman or Lovell or Anders who were really asking, but asking me if I was in lunar orbit. Remember, this is before Apollo 8. 
if I was in lunar orbit and I could look anywhere, what would I look for in terms of extraterrestrial architecture or indications or machinery or signs? That was the conversation we had that night. And this was well before Apollo 8. So those guys went back to the Apollo 8 crew and they told them what to look for. And if you're pre loaded pre you know uh, sprung to look for ruins if you don't think they're totally out of the ballpark and they they'll never see any once you understand it's possible then when you see it you'll you'll recognize it given how much evidence i have in our own files of ruins on the moon the idea that apollo 8 went and did not see ruins and report back and change everything in nasa secretly i I cannot imagine could have happened without there being huge internal political ramifications of every astronaut who went to the moon came back and said, damn it, there's ruins. So what did NASA do? I have evidence that they literally subjected the astronauts to a form of brainwashing to where they did not remember what they really saw and they basically recited a script. You know, we had a timeline, we had a mission, we did core samples, we took photographs, we stopped to Station G, we went to Black Rock, you know, this kind of thing. And all evidence of what they really saw has vanished into, into the memory hole of history because it was taken from their minds. Against that backdrop, where is NASA in the House hearings? I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I can't follow all that, Dick. <laughs> I just can't. Uh, let's see if we can center this for a second. Look, we, the first hearing since 1968 is going to take place in two days. It starts at 10 a.m. Uh, in the uh, Senate Intel Subcommittee, right? They call it the 3C. Counterterrorism, no, 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 it's the House Committee. I mean the House. I'm sorry. Yeah. The House, the House uh, Intel Subcommittee for Counterterrorism, uh, Counterintelligence, and Counterproliferation. Right. Now, I looked at the C-SPAN schedule. I do not see that hearing on the schedule yet. Uh, As I said yeah. last night on the air, I said it maybe it's the weekend and it's Tuesday and, you know, Monday will be a new day and new week and people will come in and they'll type in new schedules and all. NASA does that. They never change anything during the weekend. So maybe C-SPAN is not, but I can't imagine this hearing taking place and C-SPAN not covering it live. Do you uh, know? We'll or- find out soon. We'll find out soon enough. We know that it's being covered on gov.tv with a house.tv uh, channel. Uh, it's okay. also uh, going to be live on YouTube. Uh, Do we have these links posted so people can go quickly to them on the other side of midnight? Just send them to Keith and he'll put them up. I, I don't. I don't have them handy. I, look, all you have to do is do uh, just do a Google on how to watch UAP hearing, and I assure you a number of links come up. And uh, I, I imagine even now there's some decisions being made within certain news organizations. Do we cover it? Do we not cover it? They're probably going to test the waters uh, over the next 24 hours. <laughs> but uh, they, they will be – I know on YouTube for sure uh, there is a YouTube channel that is covering it live, and I forget who's behind that channel. It might be government. But everybody can watch. Tell you what, hold it. We are blowing past the break at the bottom of the hour. I don't like doing that. So you can pause and collect your thoughts and maybe try to reconstruct what I just tried to tell you, which was not that unclear. 
and maybe I'll do it again after the break. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest tonight, my sole guest, is the one guy on the planet that I would trust to tell me what's going to happen at these hearings until the moment the hearings begin. And then I hope, and I think, all bets are off. In the background, that's the Ukrainian national anthem. You know where our sentiments lie. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. hour of the other side of midnight be sure to catch our complete live show every saturday and sunday night at 9 p.m pacific midnight eastern for a full three hours of this kind of exploration and be sure to visit the other side of midnight.com as you listen so you can follow our special radio with pictures guest page simultaneously the Kinthea, our hard-working producer specifically prepares to illustrate the topics discussed each show why because there is vital additional information on that Radio with Pictures guest page that I assure you will immeasurably enhance your understanding and enjoyment of what our guests are describing. I mean, would you rather listen to a guest talk about NASA images of ancient artifacts on Mars or simultaneously be able to follow the official NASA images showing you, as you're listening, the ruins? If you'd like to listen at your convenience to all our shows, including our unique Radio with Pictures feature, please visit midnight.com and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. Okay, what do you get with your Club 19.5 membership, besides helping the show literally stay on the air? Well, first of all, you will exclusively, this is not available to the general public, enjoy our enhanced ad-free podcast, courtesy of Chris Bell automatically downloading all the latest The Other Side of Midnight shows directly to your favorite podcast device so you can listen when you want to. Further, as a full Club 19.5 member, you will gain exclusive access to our The Other Side of Midnight 24-7 chat server, what I can't help calling the Open Hailing Frequencies Room, which is available only to members 24-7. Now, during the show, that's where you will find other 19.5 members and sometimes even members of the bridge crew, my guests, and even me, uh, when I have time. Regardless, you can always relay live questions to me during the show just by going to the open hailing frequencies room. Of course, when we're not on the air with your 19.5 membership, you can visit our club 19.5 radio archives anytime and download all our shows directly to your computer which will automatically provide you a screen size that allows you to really examine the remarkable images Kinthea posts for each show. Okay, 
Here's where I need to get kind of super serious. Club 19.5 is how our show is currently solely supported. In my hopefully not vain attempt to keep commercials to a minimum. If you're concerned about keeping us on the air, if you want to hear information that has been vetted far more than perhaps any other show, the best way to ensure that is to join Club 19.5 and get your friends and family to join too. And if you don't know already, when I drop by open hailing frequencies, you can even ask me directly what the ultimate meaning is behind 19.5. Literally, the most exclusive club in the world. Please join me and my interesting guests on this very stream every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, and be sure to come back and listen to our live three-hour shows. Thanks for listening, and now... Back to the show. In your mind you have capacities, you know, to telepath messages through the vast unknown. Please close your eyes and concentrate with every thought you think Upon the recitation we're about to sing Calling occupants of interplanetary craft Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary craft And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, on this uh, May 15th, 2022. My guest tonight is uh, Steve Bassett, and we're discussing something that uh, neither one of us, I think, really, really deep down thought would maybe happen in our in our uh, lifetimes. And that is the beginning of official discussion on Capitol Hill by members of the Intelligence Committee, specifically a subcommittee on counterintelligence, which kind of tells you the kind of intelligence we're dealing with in terms of the UAP phenomenon. Anyway, back to Steve. Steve, what do you think is going to happen? And kind of go through it chronologically, because I want to get to the point where I ask the key question, which is how do we, the American people, how do we intervene? So please, uh, please begin. The, the reason that we have not had a, uh, a, a congressional hearing in the last 54 years is that considerable effort was made to ensure that it didn't happen. There have been numerous attempts to get some hearings on the subject from different angles, different people, some higher up people, some lower level, and all of them failed. And the reason for that is that the managers of the truth embargo knew full well that if legitimate witnesses, particularly military witnesses, were actually Get before get before congressional committee, take an oath, uh, with the cameras turning, and answer questions about this issue, the extent whatever they know or have seen or done, the truth embargo would collapse pretty quickly. So it simply could not happen, and they were quite successful. However, as we know, in 2017, something a major change occurred. Uh, people came forward. Extraordinary information was provided to the New York Times. 
We learned about the uh, events of the Nimitz, and the Roosevelt, and all of that. Over the last five years, we have seen an unprecedented increase in, in the public interest and awareness and coverage of this issue, uh, made even more uh, expansive because the, the world of social media uh, and, and means to communicate worldwide are just simply grown along with it. So this issue now is completely embedded in the whole social media milieu, including websites, uh, podcasts, uh, 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 all kinds of uh, social media such as Twitter and Facebook and everything. It's everywhere. So it's, and it's never going to go away. That's one thing about the, the Internet. You do something, <laughs> say something on the Internet, it's never – you're going to live with it the rest of your life. It will live forever. So, so – not surprisingly, uh, and, I, and, and for this, I, I assign the, the, the most credit to Louis Elizondo and Christopher Mellon, who, who I think set out with a very clear agenda to get congressional hearings and do the necessary things to make that possible. It's not like you just call somebody up and say, I think I want to have a hearing. Uh, it took a couple of years for them to lay the groundwork. Um, might have taken less time, but we've been through some rather difficult and extraordinary times. And as this process uh, moved forward with, with people on the Hill being briefed and uh, coverage from the New York Times, the Washington Post, before you know it, some politicians for the first time, frankly, in a significant way, <laughs> decided to step into this issue. Uh, and the first one that was most notable was Marco Rubio. He had been briefed, as as the other members of the Senate Intel Committee had been briefed, uh, but he was the one that stepped forward and said, okay, we're putting some language in the next appropriations bill, uh, intelligence appropriations bill, calling for certain things to be done with respect to this issue. It was a big deal, got a lot of attention. Well, this was in Rubio, and the Republicans were in charge, and they could make those decisions. Well, he as, as the, yeah, he was committee chair, uh, but... He didn't have to make that decision. He didn't have to do anything. But he had he the capability to. if he chose to. If he chose to, and he chose to. Well, and do we know why? Why of all senators, not? Mark Rubio, other than the fact that he represents Florida, which is NASA, space station, space, etc.? Uh, only he knows. Uh, I don't think he's been asked that question. Uh, if I had to speculate, it would be it would be because Rubio is a very smart man. He wants very badly to be president. And he saw this as an issue of huge importance, which was nonpartisan, that could be engaged and thrust him forward uh, and actually might be an asset to his future political uh, uh, prospects. Uh, I tried to get the message across to, in, in what way I could to Hillary Clinton that if she had really engaged this issue properly, she, she would have enhanced her prospects. She'd have been president, but they, they weren't listening. So, But I don't know for sure, but he did it. Uh, other other members of Congress also made some statements, and, and again, th this has not happened before like this. You had Mark Walker; he, he's former congressman, but he spoke on it. Um, and then uh, Ruben Gallego and Andre Carson, and what have you. So all of a sudden, this issue is in play. Didn't Senator Gillibrand, who's a very bright Democrat, make a really big noise from New York about the same thing? She was number two. Rubio, Mark Warner, who was the co-chair and ranking member when Rubio made his uh, move, or did had said a few things, nothing much. 
And then Mark takes over. He kind of steps back. He doesn't really engage the issue. It's like I'm the chairman now. Rubio has put his marker down. But the Democrats weren't going to sit on their hands. And so not, su not surprisingly, another very important senator on the Senate Intel Committee, Gillibrand, she steps forward and says, OK, I'm putting some language in this year's bill. So now you've got two senators on the Senate Intel uh, Committee who have both put language into two separate bills, two different years. They put their markers down, and that was a very big deal. OK. But where is the House here? OK. Well, Ruba Giego is a House member, and he decided to speak out on this issue, meaning, OK, the Senate's important, but so are we. I think for he's him. a representative from here in New Mexico. It's very possible. I think he is. So I think he's a Democrat. Yeah, he is. Uh, and uh, Tim Burchette stepped into it. But one of the people that spoke out was Andre Carson. Now, the reason that Andre Carson uh, was significant is that he and uh, – he and and uh, uh, and and, uh, uh, and Mark Warner are the only two committee chairs that have spoke to this issue. Ah. All right, and it's only the committee chairs that can call a hearing. Exactly. All right. Now, I'm not surprised that Rubio. Or well, Mark there's Warner another well, process, but it's very complicated and it never worked. So. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you're right. So uh, clear, I, I can understand why Mark Warner would not have called a hearing because a hearing, uh, uh, the calling of a hearing by the Senate Intel would have been a bomb. Yeah. I mean, it would have been a nuclear bomb. And and there are some problems in the world right now. We still have extreme political turmoil. We've got a uh, a scary war in the Ukraine. Uh, and the and the, the Intel committees on both House and Senate are kind of busy because intelligence uh, is a rather significant aspect of this war in the Ukraine. See, this is my biggest it. question, Stephen, and I couldn't wait to get you on the phone to ask you obvious what's in everybody's mind. The planet is going to fucking hell in a handbasket, and we're not broadcast. We can edit that out if we need to in Southern California. <laughs> We've got a planetary pandemic that's killed 15-plus million people. We're talking 100 million infections in the U.S. alone it, between now and, and, and Christmas. We're looking at a World War Three with a with an idiot who is apparently got blood cancer and who's surrounded by a bunch of generals that want to get rid of him. And as a paroxysm, could all plunge us into, you know, what was it? Einstein said World War Four would be fought with rocks. So we're looking at huge dynamics. So oh, social, abortion, Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is about to declare half of humans on Earth in the United States. Non-human, not persons, not people, not real robots to be controlled by, by the other half of the human race. We are looking at huge problems and then tucked into as a kind of a footnote, we've got this hearing that no mainstream network or mainstream uh, newspaper has even presaged, kind of sliding in between the sheets almost like nobody's going to notice. So I want to ask you, what the hell is planned for 10 o'clock Tuesday morning? I'm getting there. Okay. Um, Just want people the, to know what the background is here, because this is not normal. Right. So the, none of this is normal. So the question was, the issue is now in play. Con members of Congress are speaking to it. It's getting plenty of attention on the internet. It's not going to go away. Who was going to make the first move for hearings? 
The issue of hearings has been on the table for some time, going well back. Everybody knows that's where we want to go. But Well, remember I brought up uh, uh, the last half hour, Robin and I did the kind of – I wanted to show her what, what – um, you know, lobbying look like, and I chose the Department of Exterior to hang my hat on. One of the things that came out of that was one of those congressmen, very prominent congressman, wanted his picture taken with me and Robin, of course, Robin. And during the photo session, he said, and you know, Mr. Hoagland in this Southern drawl, he said, when we have hearings on UFOs, we're going to call you. We're going we're gonna to have you here. <laughs> never, phones never rung. So this has been a perennial, you know, Lucy in the football for decades, which is why I keep being bemused, Steve, that we're sitting here 48 hours away talking about something that could change, finally, history. It's going to, it's going to be significant, um, without question. Wow. But not as significant as some people may think. Well, wait, wait, hang on, hang on. Let me interrupt again. What, if that's dependent on us, what we do, because one of the first lines in your bio, Mr. Bassett, is activist so as the activist is sitting there what as an activist would you encourage this audience to do to make this a mainstream cause celeb which it's already mainstream it's already a mainstream cause what i at this point what i would say is find out where the thing you can watch it and watch it that's the first thing you want to do find out and watch it right uh more people to watch it good there'll be more people talking about it afterwards is there anybody in Washington going to actually protest, demonstrate, you know, amplify the hearings by showing up? Well, I don't think you could amplify the hearings that way. In fact, probably be disruptive. We're uh, we're actually winning right now, and sometimes when you're winning, you just need to step back and let yourself win. Uh, but again, we're still talking about a very complex process, and I'm trying to give people the sense of of why what is about to happen is happening. And the principal reason is, is that one of the members of Congress that decided to step into this issue, and there have been a number now, and they're on the record. You can find the articles about it. Andre Carson was a committee chair, a subcommittee chair, right? But under an incredibly important committee. True, but a subcommittee nevertheless. And so it made sense to me that Andre uh, – wanted to maybe call a hearing and I think that Adam Schiff said fine Adam Schiff could not call that hearing but a subcommittee of the intel exactly could exactly do that. yes all right so it's 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 kind of like a protocol it's in the place where it should be now why do I say that as a pacifist <laughs> you know why should we look through the first official lenses of government at the UFO situation the ET situation with security eyes why should we do that for a very pragmatic reason, Stephen. Let's see if you agree with me. Because that's the only damn way we're going to get anybody's attention. Yeah, that's the political basis that has to take place. The members of Congress are not going to do something simply... <laughs> Unless somebody's hide is threatened and their, you know, you know, basically persistence as a congressman or a senator if they have received to do nothing. So this is coming up as a security issue. Hmm. It's a security based from the get-go uh, it's been security based from the day that uh, the two the stars academy announced uh, from the time that the articles are put into play uh, a lot of people were concerned about that i was not because i knew that the path to disclosure 
had to go through Congress and it needed the support of uh, the top journalism in the country. And if you're going to get the journalists and the politicians to address an issue, it's got to be on a platform that is politically appropriate and safe, right? Hmm. With, and, and national security clearly is an appropriate platform. Uh, there's other little aspects of this. One of the reasons you keep hearing UAP, and it's referred to repeatedly <laughs> in these articles, they even talk about UAP, formerly known as UFO. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that's so important. One of the reasons that we worked very hard to try to get that term at least accepted, it's going to take forever for it to completely replace UFO, but it's been it's been mentioned a couple of times that it is a lot safer and more comfortable for a White, uh, uh, for a White House or a DOD spokesperson like Admiral Kirby or uh, you know, Ashley Parker, the uh, Washington Bureau Chief of the Washington Post, or a member of Congress to refer to this subject as UAP <laughs> than UFO. Okay. Shakespeare is spinning in his non-existent grave. Anyway. And, and that language is important. And the, the term UFO, like many terms that we are familiar with that have been associated with issues or people or what have you that have become uh, bastardized and degraded and corrupted and demeaned uh, in service to generally a fairly negative perspective – and then it's, you don't use them in polite company. There are plenty of terms like that. Believe me, and you use one of those in, in, in the wrong time and you pay a price. UFO is an example of one of those terms. It, it is so so corrupted in, in the minds of the general public by the, uh, the, the, the faming that it has gotten and the ridicule that's been heaped on it that just saying the word completely almost ends the subject right there. It ends the discussion. We needed to get rid of that term. And replace it with something that didn't carry all that baggage. UAP does not carry that baggage, and now it is being used. All of this is in service to being able to get people who are very concerned about their jobs and their future and their careers of the next election or journalists that are afraid of are concerned about their jobs and so forth. And everybody wants to be viewed as serious and nobody wants to have, have anything attached to them that could be inappropriate. We're trying to make it possible for those people to get involved and by and large. That has happened. They are engaged. They are talking about it. Uh, and the question is, where does it go? Now, I had a pretty good idea where it was going to go. But that was before, you know, good old Omicron showed I mean, uh, a Corona showed up, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and at the point that that looked might, like it might be moving forward, uh, uh, Ukraine showed up, all right? Uh, and also in the middle, there was an insurrection and uh, unbelievable political stuff and a billion lawsuits. So, I, I mean, I, I realize I, we know where we're going and we know what we need to get there, but history doesn't care. <laughs> it's like the virus doesn't care about our politics or our religion or how much we know or don't know about science. History's the same way. You may want this and you may want that, but things happen. It's a big, complicated world. And so we this has had to move forward in spite. Giving deference to the historical realities, and one of those historical issues recently was: could we have a nuclear uh, act action in the Ukraine? Could he use a tactical nuke, setting us up to probably turning us into DEFCON three, DEFCON two? Yeah, absolutely. So, but Carson made the decision to go forward, and uh, well, hang on, I, hang on, hang on. Don't you find that as I do in riveting? Given that you and I are kind of political creatures and we've spent more time than the average human should in Washington, I know that the first imperative of Congress is to do not raise your head if it's going to get shot off and the overwhelming opinion and 
public sentiment now is with Ukraine. It's with the $40 billion that Rand Paul hung up for a few days for some mm, stupid-ass reason. It's for the humanitarian suffering you're seeing on television screens of all these people every night. You know, every constituency, every congressman is getting thousands of calls. It looks like it's a pretty solid line of Republicans, Democrats supporting Ukraine. And then in the middle of this, it's like, who ordered this under that committee, which kind of is the umbrella of national security for the Congress? The answer, the best answer I can give is this, that uh, first of all, a number of members have spoken to the issue with no negative consequences. In fact, with actually some pretty positive consequences, positive uh, results. Okay, they're not getting negative feedback from the people back in their districts and their estate. And so it was looking safer and safer. Um, The media was covering it in uh, in an intelligent way. So put you put put Ukraine aside, all right, and some of the other issues we're dealing with, it would have been a no-brainer to do this. Why did he do it? There's a couple of reasons. And one of the – Well, has he said anything? Has any reporter yeah, yes, asked I, him? I've actually got quite a few quotes. Excellent, there. excellent. Uh, uh, he, he, and he said a number of things. One of the things he said is – This is the chairman attention. now, the congressman. This I think is he's from Henry Indi- Carson. For, is he from Indiana? Indiana, yes. Okay. Who is the chairman uh, of the subcommittee on basically counterterrorism under the House Counterintelligence, House Intelligence Committee under Adam Schiff. So we know where the players subcom- are. Okay. That's right. He says, I've gotten some chuckles meaning from some people that learned that he had called this. But it's something I'm passionate about, and I think I can take the heat, Mr. Carson said. This may be the very thing that brings Democrats and Republicans together, oh. at least for an hour or two. Oh, my. Now, this is a very significant statement. That's a brilliant. And he, he, I have he's, talked he's, he's about there. this. For he's there. I, he gets it. He's there. Good I grief, have Steve. Talked about, you need to take him I to dinner. Talked, I have talked about this for years, that going back, I would say about 20 years now, that the democracy that we cherish took a wrong turn. Uh, It happens. Uh, And this was a nasty turn. And the result of this was the bifurcation and hyper-partisanization of American politics to the point of being... uh, inert, immune, uh, immune, uh, inert, uh, non-functioning. We can't get anything done. And and naturally, when you can't get anything done, the people get more unhappy. And as they get more unhappy, they put more pressure on their politicians who then feast on that and continue to play this hyper-partisan game on every single issue. And uh, things are pretty much going to hell. And then when something big happens, whether it's a pandemic or a war or anything else, uh, they can't respond to it because government's not functioning in this in the United 30 States. Thirty seconds. People are getting that. Steve, so let's, let's hold it anymore. there. Okay, we're at the bottom yeah. of the hour. Don't yeah. want to miss our cues anymore. My guest this morning is Steve Bassett. We're we're diving deep into why now. We have one brave congressman out of Indiana, who, in the midst of a global pandemic and a potential thermonuclear war suddenly is saying that UFOs, UAPs, are important, as reported by the U.S. Navy and the security establishment of the U.S. government, and he wants to talk about them 
now. And then he says on the record, maybe this is the one thing for maybe just an hour that can bring both of us, Republicans and Democrats, together. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the reason any of this is important, because unless we are together on this issue, the human race may not be for very much longer. Here on the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>